0: Welcome to the Rock Christian Church Podcast. Today's message is The Pressure Test by Pastor Sean Wood. Father, you are a good God. And it's not always easy to say that. But it's true. It doesn't remove the fact that it's true. And so this morning, we worship a good God, a faithful God, a loving God, a merciful God. Father, as we open your word, open our hearts, I pray... I love those words of Ezekiel, as he spoke to me, the Spirit entered into me. Yeah. Father, may that happen here this morning. Yes. In your glorious name, amen. amen. If you've got your Bibles, you'd like to meet me? Uh, we will begin in Exodus chapter 5 today, and we will end in the book of Genesis, uh, my wife will testify, one of the most infuriating conversations I think that she has with me, is what are you preaching about on Sunday? So if you're wondering whether we're in cahoots, we're not, because she always gets the same answer, the, bi- the Bible, there you go, it's the same answer. It's not because I don't know ahead of time, it's just because share with me. it's a secret. And as long as it's not the Quran, we're okay, right? Okay, a couple of disclaimers before we go. Then I'm going to ask a couple of questions. One I'll answer straight away, one we'll answer at the end. A couple of disclaimers. Uh, James, the half-brother of Jesus, wrote in his epistle, consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds. No, he hadn't had too much of the communion wine that morning. He meant what he said. Consider it pure joy when you face trials of various kinds for the testing of your faith, he says, goes on to produce steadfastness. It's interesting. A couple of questions straight up. First one, is there anything God cannot do? We'll answer that question straight away. We all read the same Bible, right? God's all-powerful. I won't deny that for a second. God's all-powerful. We know what the angel said to Mary. Is there nothing impossible for God? Of course, our God is all-powerful. But is there anything that God cannot do? Yes, God cannot sin. My Bible tells me that God cannot lie. He cannot violate his holiness. He cannot violate his character. He cannot violate his covenants or his promise or his word. So now I have another question. This one we will answer at the end. Is there anything God does not know? Interesting. My God is an all-knowing God. There's no doubt about that. He is the God who is omniscient, which means he's the all-wise, all-knowing God. But is there anything that God doesn't know? We'll answer that at the end. Before we get there, let's uh, begin in Exodus chapter 5. For for those who don't know, uh, my first job of about 400 jobs when I was in Tasmania, I get that. But one of the jobs, the very first job I had was fixing car radiators. A brother, Ken, who's here somewhere, uh, Ken was also a radiator repairer. So if you're wondering why we're a little bit crazy, me and Ken, it's because we sucked in the lead fumes for far too long. Ken says, "Speak for yourself." But uh, I, I actually, it was the first job I had. I, I loved it. Uh, fixing car radiators all the you know they the spring holes and water goes everywhere. We had a motto when I was at Icons Radiators. We had a motto. We were the best place in town to take a leak. Now, <laughs> uh, I, we, we look. We put it. We, <laughs> we put it. We put that on one batch of business cards, but they were never passed out. Now. However, uh, fixing radiators, uh, it, when I first started, it was all about soldering. And so, of course, yeah. and now it's all plastic aluminium, and we chuck them away. But it was all about soldering. And uh, we were, radiators would come to us. Some radiators would take us a week to two weeks to fix. The big dump truck radiators would take us forever. And, and I was very fortunate because uh, the guys I learned off had been doing it for 20 years and they are very good at what they did. They could do this stuff blindfolded. And uh, although we were confident in our work, although we knew what it was that we were doing, at least we claimed that we knew what we were doing, Uh, At the end of every time we fixed a radiator, we would do something, we would place them under test. Now, most of that meant that what we would do is take a radiator, and for the mechanics and the radiators, uh, you'll know what I'm talking about, but we would lower them into a water bath and and, uh, we would apply air pressure to the radiator to find if there's any weaknesses, any cracks, whether the work that we had done was successful or not. Another way that we would do it, particularly for the big ones that we couldn't lift, we would fill them with water. We'd go the reverse way. We would fill them with water and we would crank mains pressure and uh, some scary things happen when you do that for too long. But it was all about testing the work that had been done. I believe in our Christian life and in our spiritual walk that God does. Same thing. A couple of things we have to cover off before we go into Exodus chapter 5 this morning. Um, I need to be clear about a few things. Jesus did not come to secure your happiness. (laughs) Jesus came to be the fountain and the source of your joy. And our worship is to be founded and rooted not in what God has done or may do for us, but who he is. Amen. And we're going to see what happens to Israel, and I wonder whether some of these lessons fall far from us today. We're going to see that what, has, what was taking place three and a half thousand years ago hasn't really changed. That The, 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 the pressures and, and, and the tests that come towards God's people haven't changed. They, they hadn't changed in the first century and in the first church, and they haven't changed today. Largely, you can place them under two brackets, and we're going to have a look at what happens to Israel under these circumstances. But under two brackets, the first one is outright persecution. Uh, if you read the epistles, if you read through Peter's epistles and Paul's epistles and even James's epistles, they are all about uh, trying to secure the faith of the believers because the greatest threats were persecution, first of all, and trials and tribulations was the second one. And so you will find that the greatest threat to their faith, and greatest threat to the faith of the people of God, right back three and a half thousand years ago, we will see was no different than it is today. Nothing's changed. Ecclesiastes says there's nothing new under the sun. How true that is. There's nothing new under the sun. Before we get to uh, Exodus chapter five, we need to finish off Exodus chapter four because it sets the scene and the context for everything that we're going to encounter. I I love this. This, this, I think there's some valuable lessons. I think there's people in the room this morning that need to hear this word. And I believe that many people uh, need to hear this word. Uh, Verse 27 of chapter four, let's pick it up there and move quickly through. The Lord said to Aaron, go into the wilderness to meet Moses. So he went and met him at the mountain of God and kissed him. We don't do that at church anymore, but you know, if the Holy Spirit leads you, then knock yourself out. Verse 28, and Moses told Aaron all the words of the Lord with which he had sent him to speak and all the signs that he had commanded him. Verse 29, then Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders. Now they've come back. They're, They're back in Egypt and they gather all the elders of Israel. Remember last time, this did not go well for Moses. Remember last time when he took matters into his own hands and he had decided, I am the deliverer that God has chosen, so I'm going to take matters into my own hands. And what we learn from that is you can't do God's work the world's ways. Moses is apprehensive. Uh, I was very gracious when I kind of uh, set out the the title for this morning's message. I'm thinking I'm going to have to be careful here or nobody will turn up. Uh, We could have called this morning's message from worship to whining. Then Moses and Aaron went and gathered all together all the elders of the people of Israel. Verse 30, Aaron spoke, Aaron spoke, it's a sermon for a little bit later on, all the words that the Lord had spoken to Moses, and he did the signs. Remember, God had commanded them. I love this. Uh, when we look at Moses and Aaron, their job actually wasn't to deliver the people of Israel. Their job wasn't to convince Pharaoh. Their, their call wasn't to do any of these things. Their call was, speak the word and do the signs. What, the results are in God's hands. So they did the signs in the sight of the people. And verse 31, and the people believed. That's exactly what Moses was after. That's exactly what Moses was hoping for. That's exactly what they were hoping to secure, was the belief of God's people. Uh, We're going to come to another really important word in a moment, but it's important to note when the Bible uses the word believe, and the Hebrew means the same as it does in the Greek, it doesn't mean what you agree with in your mind. Belief is a complete commitment of your whole person in trust and reliance upon God or the person of Jesus Christ. When you read the word believe in the Gospel of John, which is there 99 times, every time it's a verb, and it is the same verb which means to place your trust and reliance, full reliance in Christ. It's not just agreeing with a certain amount of facts. The people believed, it says here. And when they heard that the Lord had visited them, visited them. That's a powerful word. We explored this not so long ago, but when God visits, we read in scripture of seasons when God visited his people. God visits his people for two reasons, for blessing and for judgment. In this case, it will be for both. And the judgment will be for Egypt. What that means is the people have believed, but what that means is when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel and that he had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads and they worshipped. Now here, Moses is like home run, right? This is exactly what we wanted. Uh, we've preached one sermon. Uh, this is all that we wanted. The people believe we're on board. God, this is going to be easy. I'll crack out the tea and biscuits now so that we can have them in the wilderness. This is going to be easy. It's interesting how reality and our expectations sometimes don't always line up, Uh, but God, make no doubt that God is on the move. The people of God are excited. Why? Because we've been stuck here for 400 years. No surprise to God, by the way. He told Abraham when he called him that you'll be taken into a foreign land and you will suffer and be persecuted for 400 years. Uh, Abraham says, I'm in, right? Maybe he knew James. but after suffering and thinking that God had forgotten them they realized God hasn't forgotten us God sees us God knows us i think the greatest need inside of every single person is to be seen where you realize you you are valued and you matter because God sees you and they worshiped because they hadn't been forgotten God hasn't forgotten us. God's going to uphold his promises. We, we thought all the promises of God were under threat, but turns out that God hasn't forgotten us. God is on the move. And I guarantee you now, as we read through the book of Exodus, we are going to find that neither the people of God nor Egypt will ever be the same again. Yeah. By the time we've finished getting through the ten plagues, which are enormously important, each one of them yeah. confronting and reducing the gods of Egypt, right. Egypt will never be the same but the people of God will never be the same. A couple of things real quick. When God moves, it often doesn't happen how we think. Isn't it interesting how we pray for God to move and then we kind of slide the piece of paper across the table and here's how you can do it, Lord. Start at point one and work your way down through. I've got it all mapped out for you, Lord. This This is how I want you to answer all of my prayers and we go through our list and God says, when you slide a blank piece of paper across the table, then we'll talk. God is on the move. It may not seem like it. And by the time we get to the end of this chapter, please remember that God is still on the move and nothing's changed on God's side. But let's see what happens to the people. Afterward, after this, remember we finished with bowing our heads in worship, right? By the time we finish today, we're going to touch on worship and what it really means. And it turns out that Chris Tomlin wasn't there, but we appreciate him. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, "Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness." Also, uh, we'll come back to this as we work our way through. But uh, notice that Moses and Aaron aren't saying, "Let my people go, so we can go to the promised land." We're on our way to Canaan. Let's go. Now, initially, "Let my people go, that we may worship." But Pharaoh said. But Pharaoh said, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice? And let Israel go, I do not know the Lord. And can we be clear for a moment? Uh, Pharaoh is not asking a question seeking information. It's not like Pharaoh's gone, oh. Who's your God? Please tell me. No, no. Pharaoh is puffing out his chest, allowing his pride to rise to the surface. What Pharaoh is really asking is, who is this God that uh, I would submit to his authority? What authority does this God have in Egypt? Uh, he will find out, by the way. Uh, that's, a, that's a sermon for another day. But he's about to find out who this God is. He's about to find out how powerful he is. He's about to find out that he, in fact, is not God. But I I want to ask a question this morning. Do we still not hear that question today? In the Western society and culture that we live in today, do we not live in a culture that is saying exactly the same thing? Who is this God? Who is this God that I would hand over my life? Who is this God that I would surrender to him? Who is this Jesus that he would demand that marriage be defined that way? Who is this God that would tell me what gender I am? Who is this God that would tell me when life is actually begins. And it could go on and it could go on and it could go on. But we hear this today, who is the Lord that I would surrender to him? And they would say the same thing as Pharaoh. I don't know the Lord. Romans tells us that's not fully true. Romans tells us that they know the truth, but they suppress Suppress means to push down. What you do with the cats. (laughs) Hey, let's not forget why God judged Egypt, right? You have a look at all their gods, they worship cats. (laughs) They had it coming, (laughs) Dawny. We live in a society today, and it was no different then, but what Pharaoh is saying is the same thing that people are saying today. Pharaoh is saying, hang on a second, I'm God. We live in a society today that says, I am my own God. We live in a society today that is relativistic, which means if it's moralistic for me, then it's moralistic. Uh, Truth is what is true to me. You do you, but this is true to me. So uh, how did that work out in World War II, by the way? How has that ever worked out well? Truth is objective, not subjective. Objective means it's imposed on us from the outside. Who is this Lord? Well, Pharaoh will certainly find out. But notice how the people of Israel believed, and I wonder whether things are so much different today, but the first test that comes is the test against persecuting them against what it is that they believe. You don't need to go into the wilderness to worship. We have Many gods here, we live in a culture today, you know everybody worships? Everybody's worshipping. The number one thing the enemy wants from you is your worship. He wants your attention, he wants to distract you, he wants you focused on anything and everything apart from God, and so he wants your worship. God wants your worship too. And we live in a culture today that's got just as many gods as what Egypt had asking exactly the same questions. Who is the Lord? God will be revealed. You you could call the book of Exodus the God who makes himself known. God will make himself known in Egypt. I think that's profound. It's it's a sermon for another day. But the fact that God chooses to display his power to a hard-hearted Pharaoh boggles my mind. But God will answer that question for Pharaoh and God is using us to so answer that question today. God wants men and women of God to stand up and make him known, to make his truth known, to make his word known, to make his glory known. As we covered off last week, the, the number one reason both Oprah and Brad Pitt said that they cannot uh, follow Jesus is when they read the Bible, they thought, when they read the Bible, they said, you know what, this book is all about a God who's a megalomaniac and all about his glory. They got that right. God is seeking to glorify his name Amen. through you. Amen. And we are, history will tell us, the Bible tells us, that we will always meet opposition. We will always meet persecution. When the church stands up, persecution will always come. Uh, Right now, if you go to uh, two of the hottest places to be a Christian, not the hottest, but some of the hottest places to be a Christian right now is in China and Iran. And the Church of Jesus Christ is flourishing. It's interesting what happens when you turn the heat up on the church. It's interesting what happens, same thing that happened when they tried to persecute Israel. God was right in it. Who is the Lord. And verse 3, then they said, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us. Wow, they're powerful words. With pestilence or with sword. And we know what's coming, right? And fast forward now. I don't know whether this might resonate with anybody in the room this morning, but ever notice how when uh, God starts moving and, and working powerfully in your life or or in the church, it seems like things get worse before they get better. Ever notice that? Ever notice that when you decide, you know, uh, you decide, you know, what I'm going to be all in for God? Uh, God, I'm all in and, and, and the Holy Spirit is a wonderful work in your heart. Who knows that you walk out of church Sunday on fire for God and Monday the first thing that happens, right? The enemy's obviously at work here, but uh, I believe God uses these things. And I know, I know COVID's been uncomfortable. I think it was it the WHO that has now announced that we're on the other side and coming out of COVID. And they didn't know when we were going into it, so I'm not sure they'd know when we're coming out of it. Um, <laughs> that's a sermon for another day. Yeah. Positions vacant, pastor of the Rock Christian Church. Let's stop now. <laughs> uh, but, but in all reality, I believe that COVID was a tool in God's hand. He has done and is continuing to do an amazing work amongst Amen. his body. Amen. Uh, glory be to his wonderful name that he's so patient with us. And he is doing a work. It's, a, it's an uncomfortable work. It's a sifting work. If you'd have told me years ago that there would be a time, a, a period of two years when the churches would be emptied, I wouldn't have believed you. But a lot of things about church life, a lot of things about our faith, uh, we learn to worship God in our pyjamas at home, right? By the way, those days are over. I'm a firm believer in corporate worship. I'm a firm believer in fellowship. Um, If that meets a need for those that are at home and can't make it to church, God bless them. But I believe that the place for the children of God is to meet together physically, in person. um, And that's why I believe in the local church. But let's go forward for a moment and see what happens with Israel. See, God has met them, God has seen their affliction. There's been plenty of promises I'm going to deliver you. But it seems as though things are getting worse before they get better because what happens is Pharaoh says, well, you guys are obviously lazy. Obviously got, you want to go and worship God. You've obviously got far too much time on your hands. So if you read the bulk of this chapter, you'll understand it's all about the fact that Pharaoh increases their workload. He, he says, well, at one point in time, we used to give you the straw to make the bricks, but now you have to go and get your own straw but still make the same amount of bricks. Let's read what Israel had to say about this. They, they weren't overly happy. Verse 15, then the foreman of the people of Israel came and cried to Pharaoh. Hey, we need, can I just digress for a moment? We need to be careful who we're crying to. Why do you treat your servants like this? Verse 16, no straw is given to your servants, yet they say to us, make bricks and behold, your servants are beaten. But the fault is in your own people. Verse 17, but he said, you are idle, you are idle. That is why you say, let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Go now and work. No straw will be given you, but you must still deliver the same number of bricks. The foreman of the people of Israel saw that they were in trouble. When they said, you shall by no means reduce your number of bricks in your daily task. Let's, let's read what's going on here. Verse 20 says, they met Moses and Aaron who were waiting for them. And as they came out from Pharaoh, and they said to them, the Lord look on you and judge because you have made us stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. Wow, we, we went from worship to warning real quick. But before we judge Israel, how many of us have found ourselves in similar situations? How many of us have asked the same questions? There's one enormous question that Moses is going to ask God right now, and it's usually the same question we ask. What's the, what's the words out of Moses' mouth? Then Moses turned to the Lord and he said, "Oh Lord, why?' Don't we ask God, why? Why is this happening, oh God? Hang on a second. This isn't what I signed up for. Uh, I didn't sign up for this. I didn't sign up for hardships. I didn't sign up for afflictions. This is getting worse. Remember the promises I made to you, God? I, I told you that I'm all in now, God, and, and everything's going really well, and I believe, and, and, but this was not what I signed up for. Uh, friends, can we press the pause button? If you signed up for a gospel that is Jesus coming down and making your life all fluffy and rosy, then you need to go and get your money back. Jesus did not put in the fine print, those who come after me must take up the cross and follow me. Jesus didn't put that in the fine print. (laughs) Moses turned to the Lord and he said, oh Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever even send me here? For since I came, (laughs) for since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, He has done evil to this people and you have not delivered your people at all. Uh, The the major problem with Moses, first of all, is his expectations. He has it all mapped out, right? He has in his mind how this is all going to work out. But things have gone from bad to worse. But can I just press the pause button for a moment? At what point has God stopped working? At what point has God failed his word here? God hasn't gone back on his promises at all. And Moses and Israel are in exactly the same place we find ourselves in. We get confused, right? God, this is confusing. Confusing. We don't understand. We ask the question, why? Because, Lord, this doesn't seem to make sense. And part of the problem is, part of the problem, friends, is that we we wrongly associate God's blessing and favour in our lives as being... Uh, lining up with everything else being favorable. You know, God's blessing you if you've got a full bank account and you get that promotion at work and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Well, God's blessing must be on you. Well, uh, God's blessing in our lives, friends, can I tell you, is whatever makes you more Christ-like. The greatest blessing that God can bring into your life right now is anything or anybody that will make you more Christ-like because when you stand before him, you won't be counting how much money's in your bank, you won't be looking at what car's in the garage, you, you won't be looking at the square meterage of your house, you won't be looking at any of that. I haven't been to too many funerals, but the ones I've been to, there's no U-Haul trucks. The Queen's got a fair parade. <laughs> But there's no U-Haul trucks. You can't take it with you. Every week I visit a nursing home and I find the same thing common for everybody in that nursing home. Have you ever noticed that the people in the nursing home have reduced everything they used to own into the size of a room? But when we do stand before Him, anything that makes us Christ-like, we take with us into eternity. And sometimes... Hardships and trials should be the foundation of our joy. Why? Because it's God working deeply in our lives. I found something about the exam room of God. I was never good at exams when I was in school. Never good at exams at all. But I found something about the exam room of God. If you fail, you come back. And you stay in the exam room until you pass. And James can say, consider it pure joy. Why? Because God wants to move you forward. God wants to take you deeper. God is wanting to move you on. But he's got to do some work first. And it's interesting how the people of Israel went from worship to whining very quickly. When I began, I asked two questions. The second one was, is there anything that God doesn't know? And I think one of the most profound chapters in the book of Genesis is actually Genesis chapter 22. I'm going to ask Stu if he can make his way up and just play gently, but there's one verse in particular in this chapter that jumped out to me, but the whole chapter, I think, as we step out of Exodus, will highlight beautifully exactly what I'm talking about this morning. If you've got your Bibles and you want to follow along with me in Genesis 22, we'll, we'll put a little bit of context and then we'll work our way through the chapter briefly. Chapter 22, verse 1 says, After these things, after what things? After, we know the story of Abraham and Sarah, or Abram and Sarai, who would become Abraham and Sarah, we know the story, right? We know that God comes to them when they are of an age when they couldn't have children. And, <laughs> careful what you wish for, right? But uh, when they were at an age when they couldn't have children, God comes and says, you will have your very own son. And speaking about that word visited, what we read in in chapters previous to this is that after promising Sarah that she would have her own son, it says that God visited Sarah and she conceived. And so now we have Abraham and Sarah have received the blessing. And now God asked Abraham to do something profound. After these things, God, it says, tested Abraham. Oh, now we're, now we're going to put him under a pressure test. After these things, got tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here am I. He said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and, and go to the land of Moriah. And we're going to see that Moriah is a 3 days journey, but a little bit more about that in a moment. He says, go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I should tell you. I've told my boys before and I'll tell them again, if we're ever going on a hike and I've got a whole heap of wood under my arm, it's biblical. But how confusing would this have been for Abraham, right? We don't, we don't get this. We don't get the inner, we don't get the inner dialogue. And, and you might be reading this thinking, well, you know, Abraham made a snap decision and, and he reacted and, and in the emotion of it all. No, no, no. It was three days journey to Moriah. Let's keep reading on and, and see what happens. Uh, so Abraham rose early, didn't call the elders... Didn't summon a prayer meeting, didn't open the Bible to go, was that really God? No, he rose early, it says, saddled his donkey, took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac, cut the wood for the burnt offering. And if we come down to verse four, it says, on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Three days journey. Friends, we learn something here right now. When God calls us, when God gives us his word and calls us to do something, and it may be confusing, and we may be in a season when we can't make sense of what's going on, whatever our inner dialogue is, what do we learn from Abraham? Keep putting one foot in front of the other and do what God has told you to do. Then Abraham, verse 5, said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. This is a profound verse. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. No singing, no Chris Tomlin, no Hillsong. But worship, we see, is a. Worship is defined as our response to God. When we come here on a Sunday and we sing songs and often we think, well, worship's the, the last three songs we sing, right, Pastor? First to a praise and worship's the last three songs, right? But what we learn in this chapter, because it's the very first time that worship is mentioned and what we learn is worship is about, uh, it's about a heart response to God. I and the boy will, will go over there and worship and come again to you. I love those words. Abraham didn't say, I I love those words. Abraham did not say, I'm coming back alone. We. Verse six, and Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering. And you can read the rest. If we come down to verse eight, Abraham said, God will provide. Isaac's getting a little bit suspicious, right? Isaac's going, you know what? We're, we're, We're going to offer a sacrifice. You've got the wood, you've got the knife, but where's the animal? I love what Abraham says, God will provide. And for those who know the story, there's a ram in a thicket. And I would like to, uh, you know, I'm taking a little bit of free license here, but I bet you that ram was there the whole time. I, I bet you God ran ahead and made sure that ram was there. It's interesting if we read on. Uh, let's read let's pick it up at verse 10 then Abraham reached out his hand took the knife to slaughter his son but the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said Abraham Abraham and he said here am I he said do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him here's this verse now for now I know what for now you know what you know everything right God You're the sovereign God. You know everything. You control everything. No. God says, for now I know. God's learned something about Abraham. God's tested him. And just like when I put that radiator in the test bath, God's applied pressure to Abraham. He says, now I know. Now I know your faith holds up. Now I know, he says, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And, and the most important lessons we begin to learn here is that the most important thing about God is not the blessings. It's God. What God wanted to know, what, what God is re- getting, what is revealed here to everybody is, you know what God wants? God wants the number one place in our hearts and our lives. That's worship. Worship is when God has got the number one place. Does God know everything? Or is God waiting to see that we will choose him? Friends, what Exodus 5 teaches us, what Abraham teaches us is that in this life, What did Jesus tell us? In this life, you will have trouble. In this life, if you stand up for the name of Jesus, you have a target on your back. You are about to be persecuted. If you are going to follow Christ, interesting, the Bible says that Jesus learnt obedience by suffering. If we're gonna follow Jesus, we're gonna have moments when God puts us in the pressure cooker, right? But I want everybody here to take encouragement and to take heart this morning because when you find yourself in the pressure cooker of life, when you find yourself in confusing circumstances, when you find that God is turning up the heat, take heart this morning, friends, because God wants to move you forward. He wants to take you on. God is on the move in your life. God is on the move. We can't use outward, uh, we can't measure God moving by outward circumstances. That's the problem with happiness, right? It fluctuates depending on our circumstance. It fluctuates depending on whether you catch fish or not. That's why my boys are always moody. Maybe you're sitting here this morning and maybe you're going, you know what, I feel like Israel right now. I feel like things are getting worse. I've prayed for God. I, I know God's been doing a work in my life and in my family and but it feels like things are getting worse before they get better, and I'm convinced. I'm convinced that God has. God has begun and is continuing to do a deep work. In this church. Amen. Next week, if you're sitting here this morning, and you're thinking, you know what? There's a whole lot of that that resonates with me. You've got to be here next week. I know there's a big opportunity for a long weekend, but chapter 6 is massively important if you're here this morning and you need prayer for any reason, if you find yourself for any reason needing prayer, you want us to pray with you or for you, we'd love to pray with you but can we just be silent as I close in prayer this morning Father your ways are so much higher than our ways Your thoughts are so much higher than our thoughts. We don't have your wisdom all the time. We don't have your knowledge. We don't have your eyes. But Lord, help us to see. Open our eyes. Father, I pray for each and every one of us that we would find our deepest joy in who you are. Father, thank you that you're good to us. Thank you that you bless us. Thank you that you're merciful to us. Thank you for your grace to us. But Lord, we love you for who you are, not for what you've got in your pockets. I pray for every person this morning that might find themselves today in the same place as Israel, confused, asking why, Lord I pray that you would keep them I pray that you would open their eyes I pray Father that in all the trials and testings of life that you would find that we choose you thank you Jesus that you are able to help us in our infirmities and our weaknesses. Thank you, Father, that you're at work in our lives. That's why it's joyful. When we we meet persecution and when we meet opposition, we know it's because you're at work in our lives. Thank you for working in our lives. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would continue your work in each of our hearts and each of our lives. In Jesus' name.